0: an investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Mr. Terry Fuller. He is a grain farmer, seed dealer, and cattle rancher based in Poplar Grove, Arkansas. That's Eastern Arkansas. He's also the chair of the Arkansas Plant Board. He's recently been the target of vandalism due to various restrictions the plant board has placed on the use of dicamba, which is an herbicide manufactured by Monsanto, which is now owned by Bayer, which has been linked to about 1,500 complaints of damage to other crops and vegetation in Arkansas since 2016. Welcome, Mr. Fuller.
1: Thank you, Melinda.
0: Well, tell me something. How did you get into farming?
1: When my daddy came back from the war, He rented six acres and borrowed two mules, and I was born in 1960, and so basically I was born into it. He farmed his whole life, worked at a cotton gin growing up, dropped out of school in the ninth grade, didn't have money to buy lunch, and went to work, and then the war came along and he went to World War II, and when he came home from the war, he went to work, and I got out of Mississippi State in 1982 and have an identical twin brother, and we came home to the family operation and started the seed business and continued the farming operation since, and it's evolved a lot. We used to grow a lot of cotton. Now we don't grow any cotton. We just grow soybeans and corn on our farm, and we've added the cattle since 2011, which we've had cattle our whole life but we've added a lot of cattle now but and we've been in the seed business here since 82 we basically sell for the the major companies grow and process seed sell dicamba traded seed just got emailed today that the new extend flex has been approved for export approval so uh we grew some of those this year as well.
0: Now, what is that, the Extend Flex? What kind of seed is that?
1: That will be Bayer's new product that will offer dicamba, glyphosate, and liberty or glufosinate tolerance to over the crop application.
0: So, three separate herbicides these seeds will be resistant to.
1: That is correct. As well as, I mean, our basic. Farming practices that we've used forever are pre emerging over the top herbicides that we've had before. So, you have a lot of different herbicides that you can use mm. on this crop to keep it clean, not just dicamba glyphosate and Liberty.
0: I'm sure you've witnessed a lot of change. You touched on that briefly in your introductory comments, but you started on the farm, you said you used to grow cotton. That doesn't happen anymore. Do you find that you've had a less diverse crop over the years where now you're just doing corn and soy? Tell me some of the changes you've witnessed that really have struck you as being significant.
1: When we came back, we were growing a lot of soybeans and wheat in the early 80s. My daddy always loved cotton as well as Jerry and I. And at one point in time, we were 100% cotton. We didn't plant a seed if it wasn't a cotton seed on our farm. While I was selling grain crop seed here, my brother and my dad were, I mean, we're basically, we're all one operation or I'm doing the books on all of them, keeping the type thing, doing all the stuff at the office for them. They didn't grow anything but cotton for a 10 year period. And as the soybeans, the grain changed, cotton got harder to operate. We moved to a grain operation of soybeans and corn slowly, the corn replaced the cotton in the rotation and at one time we were growing a lot of rice, we always rented that out. But we had a guy that was growing a, a third of the farm would be rice one year, a third cotton and a third soybeans. And we've transitioned the rice and the cotton out to basically we're half and half corn and soybeans and rotated every year.
0: Mm. Now, I'm curious to know when genetically modified seeds came on the market. And again, these seeds were genetically modified to resist the spraying. They could survive the spraying at first with glyphosate. These were Roundup-ready seeds. Did you find a lot of enthusiastic adoption of these seeds?
1: That was a uh, yes. I mean, that was, we almost went from to 100% glyphosate-resistant in just a couple of years Right around 96, 97, 95, right there in that period, we moved to a, an adoption. Mean, and, and the deal was you didn't have to spray it with glyphosate, but you could if you wanted to. And most of it was sprayed with glyphosate just because it was so easy. And then in the last 10 years, the non GMO movement has come about, and we've people have started growing. Those products that aren't genetically modified, and have a market for them, but it almost—it never went completely away, but it almost did. Mm. And now it's begin to come back, begin to be a, be more of that conventional. We call them conventional seed market.
0: Now, before the genetically modified seeds came onto the market, I'm assuming a lot of them were hybrid. But were you able to save seeds?
1: No soybeans were hybrid. All soybeans are be able to produce them. We could save a lot of them. Some we couldn't. Some uh, were protected under a PVP patent of bears and uh, in different seed companies, but there was always seed that you could save of soybeans, and, and there still is today that don't have a trait that aren't protected under a patent that you could save. It's just not very many of them grown today in Arkansas anyway.
0: Yeah. So did farmers move away from that kind of seed because if those plants were growing and they were hit by some of the herbicides, those plants would be killed?
1: Not that much. I mean, there's been some of that in other crops, but now in dicamba case, they have, but it doesn't kill them when it hits them. It just stunts them, Makes the nodes on the soybean stack closer together. They're growing the branches are be stacked closer together, and and a reduce yield. And you basically can see this driving by the the non-tolerant dicamba soybeans. If if it's hit with dicamba, you can see it 80 miles an hour driving by. You don't have to be real slow.
0: Wow. Okay, so the genetically modified seeds came on the market. They were genetically modified to resist the spraying of glyphosate. And what happened actually was exactly what some farmers predicted would happen. They raised a red flag to the manufacturers early on in this game. And they said, you know, the weeds are going to develop resistance. They did develop resistance. And now what you're dealing with is pigweed. Are you not?
1: That is correct, and, and they've already developed resistant to the to the dicamba product as well, as documented by Larry Steckel at Tennessee and, and I think some other weed scientists now as well.
0: Right. Years ago, I read in the New York Times that Monsanto had planned, I believe it was by the year 2025, that there would be seed that would be resistant to the application of five different herbicides. And I'm assuming the planning was because of this resistance that naturally developed.
1: I don't know about that.
0: Okay, that's fine. I don't know. But you've got seeds now that are resistant to at least three herbicides. Is that correct?
1: That is correct, yes. Okay. And and we've got them from two, Corteva has an Enlist, 2,4-D glyphosate, and Liberty, and now Bayer's come to the table with the Dicamba, Liberty, and glyphosate as wow. well. So you have a choice of a three different stack from two different platforms. To my knowledge, the 2,4-D platform, no scientist has said that product is volatile, where in the case of Dicamba, every scientist that I'm aware of has said, at least in Arkansas conditions, that it is volatile, or in summertime, over-the-top application conditions in Arkansas, it's volatile.
0: Hmm. Let's talk about that, because that's a word that is not generally discussed, at least in consumer circles. And I think it's so important for us, Mr. Fuller, to understand how our food is produced and what kind of difference it makes both to the farmer's ability to support themselves and for the consumer's ability to have food that they really want to put on their tables. And, you know, most of my consumer audiences really want food that isn't produced with herbicide, if they have a choice. But we were talking about this whole issue of an herbicide volatizing. What does this mean?
1: When your product is sprayed on a crop, Or on our soil, and it is sprayed and lands. When it volatilizes, it can get up and leave the moisture, suppose. But anyway, it forms a gas and goes into the air and basically goes whichever direction the wind's blowing. And in Arkansas, that's in multiple directions a day as the wind direction changes here quite frequently. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a downwind person that that can be affected it it's anybody and the research has shown us that it's not limited to a quarter mile half a mile away it's moved a long way two to three miles away and in a lot of instances you can't I mean so basically you don't know where it came from
0: Mm. and you sent me photographs of not only damaged soybeans but also damage trees. And I'm thinking about the farmer who's planted the soybeans, planted the corn, and wants to keep the weeds at bay. So they spray these herbicides, but the herbicide gets up and it volatilizes. It moves two to three miles away and it will hit other crops that are not resistant to the herbicide and damage them. And some of the pictures that you shared with me I wonder just how many seasons a tree, for example, can withstand that kind of attack and come through it.
1: We're beginning to see a lot of trees being cut in yards and in things like that are dead and fallen in the woods from this now here. So uh, basically the answer is going to be from three to five years because we started with this product use in 17 although it wasn't actually legal until 18 so well it was legal in 17 as well 17 18 19 and 20 crops we've had it sprayed four years in arkansas but we've had tight restrictions for it to be applied in arkansas every year in 17 we stopped the spraying in june it didn't actually happen until july And then in eighteen it was an April fifteenth cutoff. Nineteen it was a May twenty fifth. Over the top application cutoff in twenty twenty that prevailed as well. What we're seeing is people are not abiding by those dates for whatever reason. And according to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, there's been close to a million nine hundred thousand dollars worth of settlement agreements sent out to farmers that have violated the cutoff dates or violated, the application of dicamba.
0: Hmm. Let me take one break because we're halfway through, and I just want to remind everyone, if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Mr. Terry Fuller. He is based in Poplar Grove, Arkansas. He's a grain farmer, cattle rancher, and chair of the Arkansas Plant Board I want to talk about the role of these cutoff dates and who sets them. And I'm assuming that they are set by the Arkansas Plant Board. Is that correct?
1: The Arkansas Plant Board in Arkansas has has restricted the application of, of dicamba every year. I mean, the federal label as well has restrictions, but it's real hard for the farmer to apply it by the federal label. But it's also real hard for an enforcement agency to know that it was applied after the guidelines that are in in place in the federal label. And some of those guidelines are 45 days after planting for soybeans, but an enforcement agency basically has no way to know when a field was planted, 60 days for a cotton field after planting. And uh, in the case of soybeans, you're not supposed to plow over the top. There's some variation in the labels from V3 to R1, but R1's the latest that it can be applied over the top. And R1 is a reproductive stage, the very first reproductive stage that happens in soybeans and reproductive, that is a bloom. When you drive by a soybean field or when you walk the field and can find a flower blooming on the soybean plant, that's considered R1. And that's the latest over the top application that can be allowed Hmm. of dicamba currently now we're had two-year conditional labels both times the labels come about and we're looking at a new label right now are they trying to get a new label after the ninth circuit vacating the label but the label would have expired anyway so they're looking for and that's part of the new label is limiting the over-the-top application even further than it's been limited already or restricting it more Mm -hmm. from the label guideline but it's real hard to enforce it and that's why Arkansas has had a added a date but 45 percent of the soybeans produced in the United States of America in 2020 had a cutoff date for over-the-top application of dicamba so it's not just an Arkansas problem it is a national problem.
0: Right. Now, you have been vandalized personally. Your farm has been vandalized. You have lost 367 bales of hay. They were burned. You had two tractors that were vandalized. And these instances where you have been vandalized have been related to your speaking out on the Arkansas plant board. You're wanting to have cutoff dates that are more strict. Why is it, do you think, that you've been attacked?
1: You know, that I I really don't know. I mean, it's an ongoing investigation, and I have been a a vocal opponent from the beginning, or not from the beginning, because in the beginning, I wanted to spray over the top with dicamba. But as I saw that we couldn't apply it and it stay in the field, then I became an opponent to it, and uh, because I felt like it was If you put it in your field, it's supposed to stay there. And the tractor motor, I had two tractor motors damaged with product put in the oil through the oil field tubes. And uh, they were basically ruined $60,000 to repair them. And I also had another tractor that had some wires cut. And it was multiple wires on the tractor that were cut. And some were outside the cab, some were inside the cab. So they were positively cut. And then I had the hay bales burned, but the motor were damaged on August 17th, the same day I presented to the Joint Ag Committee of the Arkansas Legislature, the Senate, and the representatives. And then September 17th, I was back to present to the same committee, and I didn't even get out of town until the hay bales were on fire, Mm. uh, which I was the only plant board person there presenting that day. But we're an 18-member board. 16 of us have voting rights, and so it's not just been me, there's been several other people that have voted for these restrictions, and as I said, 45 percent of the beans grown in the United States, so there's been several other states, and we're not being the only state that's been bullied or harassed either. I mean, the pressure's been pretty much in all across everybody that's tried to, the scientists that have Done the research all the way down. I mean, and it's well documented. Jason Norsworthy had a. You can go to the University of Arkansas page and see that today, where they have been attacked and bullied or whatever you want to call it. The research attacked. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Cochran says he stands by his scientists a hundred percent. Right. So it's not been me. I'm not the only person. It's it's been a a large group, and I've just been one of the one of the few that's been attacked.
0: Right. Well, the whole issue of drift has really torn farming communities apart. I recall back in 2016, one farmer shot another farmer. There's now a farmer in jail for over two decades because of this. What do you see as the way out of this mess?
1: I don't know. I'd say America's lost, our we've lost our moral compass. There's two sides to dicamba. I understand that. There's a, a 20 to $80 an acre savings are cheaper to apply it, but there's two sides to right and wrong. And it's right for you to be able to have a crop and somebody's not to chemical trespass on your crop or on your yard or on your garden or your wood area that's right for you to be able to have own that stuff and not have damage from somebody else. Exactly. So uh, it's just the basic moral compass of our nation today.
0: Yeah. Well, I remember interviewing Richard Coy, who was an Arkansas beekeeper, and he had to move his entire operation out of the state of Arkansas due to dicamba drifting on the kind of plant growth that the bees were using for food. So you've lost... A really good bee business there in Arkansas. You've got the Audubon from Arkansas also raising concern about bird safety and the fact that if you're, if you're losing trees, you're losing bird habitat as well. So it seems that there are many fronts coming together pointing to the damage from this herbicide. Will this herbicide ever be banned, do you think?
1: I don't know. We've used it for a long time pre-emerge in the cooler temperatures with not very few complaints and the yard industry uses it and the cattle the pasture industry uses it when the yard industry uses it they use about a third the rate that we do but they also if you're hiring somebody to spray your yard you want your yard to be green and pretty and weed free and that's what the person that's applying the product wants So they use this product early in the growing season, where the desired vegetation is green and pretty and weed-free, rather than applying it in the heat of the summer and somebody driving by your yard, what happened to your yard? It looks all dead. And that's why we've not had the issue in that situation. So rather than ban the product, restrict it to uses that it has that are helpful to society. But we had a a huge publication came out this fall from the National Wildlife Federation, Prairie Rivers Next Network, and ERCS Society of Drifting Toward Disaster, How Dicamba Herbicides Are Harming Cultivated and Wild Landscapes. I mean in its forty four page document that's really well done for somebody that's interested. Mm-hmm. It shows a lot of pictures and has a real well written narrative.
0: Yeah, I think people need to understand what the damage looks like so they know what they're seeing. And I'll provide a link to that publication. I've got a home garden, and I've got some wildflowers. And I know that some of my neighbors have used some of the lawn company's chemicals. And I've seen the dicamba as well as 2,4-D in the formulations. And we actually did have some damage to my vegetable crops and some of my flowers. So I can only imagine on a grander scale, say I lived in rural Arkansas, maybe I wanted to have an organic crop. Maybe I wanted to have some fruit trees on my property. Maybe I wanted to have some native plants to help our native birds and insects thrive. And it seems to me, if I'm understanding correctly, that because of the way this chemical volatizes, those home gardens and those fruit trees all of those specialty crops, they're called, that really serve to nourish and support human health, those crops would be damaged because of this.
1: In certain areas, to what I see that they are, in certain areas of the state, we're able to still have them because of the, the rice crops and the other corn and the other crops, sweet lot of sweet potatoes in the area. And when they have a rotation, there's not as much dicamba applied to the soybeans. But where you have a, a lots of dicamba applied or you have a lot of pigweed pressure to create a lot of dicamba being applied, you're basically going to have a real hard time having any specialty crops in those sections of the state.
0: Mm, They're that, not going to exist and
1: fruit trees are going to die.
0: Right. And that is such a shame because those are the crops that actually nourish human beings and protect against cancer and heart disease and all of those diseases that dietitians like myself try to use food to prevent. I'm really glad you brought up sweet potatoes because in an earlier discussion that we had, you mentioned that a farmer had had some damage from dicamba, but he was reluctant to bring that forward because the USDA does not have any legal tolerance for dicamba on food crops. Is that correct?
1: None that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm not up on what all crops have, uh, a legal tolerance, but there's several that don't have tolerance, and that's part of the people with the food crop won't turn in a complaint because of that. And the same deal with the organic crops. If he has a, a detectable level of dicamba, well, then he's out of his organic certification. In what you see in a crop, especially some of the faster-growing crops, you only only ab- visibly able to see it For a certain number of days. Watermelons grow real fast so that it grows through that visible seeing it. Therefore, while soybeans are highly sensitive, so you can see it for a longer period of time in a soybean crop, but some of your other vegetable crops, they grow through that. You're not able to see the the visible sign. Now, you can see it in a soybean field in a white oak tree real easy at 30 to 80 miles an hour. It's its real visible.
0: Hmm. If people want to learn more about this issue and maybe help from the consumer side, help farmers be able to grow food without the risk of losing it. And certainly your whole case with regard to being vandalized is really frightening to me. Where can we go to learn more?
1: Basically any university website or any university that's got a Row crops, University of Arkansas. They have a whole dicamba history, and it quits about twenty nineteen. But the whole history is of the regulation is in the on their page there. Frequently asked questions about dicamba. Missouri just had a huge virtual learning webinar podcast. Arkansas is doing the virtual learning podcast as well. Do the Covid, we can That's the new way. And uh, Kevin Bradley at Missouri showed the the damage, the loss of yield to soybeans from the dicamba, and uh, that's been a, a big one. A lot of folks claim it's just cosmetic, and his podcast shows the extent of the damage and how much yield you can lose due to the symptomology at the different times of. The maturity of the crop.
0: Well, Mr. Fuller, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but I will make sure to provide links to the Arkansas newspaper that told your story, as well as some university sites, so people can recognize the damage and work to provide a safer food system, safer for farmers and safer for eaters. In closing, I want to Thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Mr. Terry Fuller. He is a Poplar Grove, Arkansas-based grain farmer, cattle rancher, and chair of the Arkansas Plant Board. Recently, he has been the target of vandalism. Due to various restrictions that the plant board has placed on the use of dicamba, an herbicide manufactured by Monsanto, now Bayer, which has been linked to over 1,500 complaints of damage to other crops and vegetation in Arkansas since 2016. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Fuller.
1: Thank you.